Thank you for joining our broadcast today at City Life Church. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. Please take a moment to send us your story at info at citylifechurch.cc. And if God has used this ministry to touch you in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially to help us to bring God's word to other people. You can go to our website at citylifechurch.cc to find the giving option that works best for you. We've got an encouraging word for you, and we pray that you lean in and engage as we head into the auditorium for today's message. We're coming off a series that was powerful, wasn't it? The past few, the past few weeks, God's presence has just been confirming so much in a lot of us. And, and I feel honored and, and blessed and excited to be able to come at the end of the series because God's been stirring something in my heart. And I prayed a little bit about what would I be speaking about today. And I really felt uh, pressed to talk about um, the presence of God. That's something that's not, uh, that is not um, something that is uh, distant from us when we come into the, to the house, and especially a house as active as this one, we feel the presence of God. But the presence of God is so much more than a feeling. It's so much more than uh, emotions. It's so much more about being happy, although it does make you happy. There's so much more depth to what it means to live in God's presence. And so for the next few moments, I just want to share a little bit about what the Bible teaches. And I believe, in, uh, and, and God has kind of confirmed in my heart that it's going to help us understand Him better. So is that okay with you guys? So as I was getting ready for this message, I kind of was just thinking, and I'm a, I'm a little bit weird when I, uh, I see things in, when I'm driving and they become sermons to me. I don't know if any, any preachers in the house, but I'll, I will drive by a, a green light and all of a sudden it'll mean something. I'll try to explain it to somebody and they're like, I, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about, but they mean something to me, okay? And so that's what I was doing as I was kind of just preparing him. Uh, and, and I really felt that uh, when, when I'm looking at God's presence and I'm thinking about what the Bible teaches, I just think of his creation. I think of how beautiful and amazing his creation is and how so many unique people in here are God's creation. And we go outside and we see the beautiful sunset and the ocean that Tampa is so blessed to have and so many amazing aspects to God's creation. And, and it just, that just kind of st- st- kept sticking in my mind. And I love watching the planet, uh, uh, planet Earth on Netflix. I don't know if any of you guys Netflix in here. Okay, well, just me then. So I do. <laughs> okay. I'm not, pro, I'm not plugging Netflix. I'm just saying that's, that's what I watch. Planet Earth, Planet Earth 2 is my favorite. And I watch the show because it's not a Christian show. And I, don't, I doubt that they're believers, but they're, they're showcasing God's creation. They're showcasing his, his glory. And I, and I, I see it and I'm just, I'm, I just, I, I leave watching in awe of how big our God is. And I always feel so small when, I, when it comes to my problems when I look at his creation, when I look at his glory. And it reminds me of a psalm uh, that the psalmist wrote in Psalm 8. He wrote, Lord, our, Lo- our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe, the enemy, the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels, but yet crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals and the birds in the sky, fish in the sea and all that swim the past the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Have you ever felt like that when you just look at creation, when you just see how big God's universe is, how amazing 
of a God that we get the honor to worship. And I was, as I was praying today about what I would share, I felt strongly that there are many people in here who are struggling to experience the presence of God in their everyday lives. Now, you may f- sense God's presence when you come worship with us at church or, or maybe when you're in a different atmosphere around other believers, you sense him, but yet you struggle to live from his presence in your everyday lives. You hear this psalm and it just doesn't click with you. You feel God's presence at church, you can sense him around other people, yet when you're on your own, you feel distant from him. Also, I felt like there are some of us who have been struggling to understand what it really means to be a Christian. What is our purpose? And you've been praying for direction. Well, I believe that God has given me something to share with you today that will answer these questions. So for the next few minutes, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share God's word because I believe that somebody's breakthrough is going to happen today in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? And like the psalmist wrote in Psalm 8, I I just quoted, let's all tune our hearts to the voice of God now because he's very concerned, very interested, and very mindful of you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for your presence, God. I thank you for the purpose that you've knitted deep within each one of us. We're not a mistake. No one in here is a mistake. No one in here is here by mistake. But God, you fearfully and wonderfully have made us and love us and established a way for us to be in your family, God. So we love you, Lord, and we ask for you to lead us into the truth of your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, well, for those of you who don't know, I'm from Arizona. That's the West Coast. And it's a lot different from this side. Culture is different. We dress different. We talk different. But I remember several moments when I was younger climbing up. We had big red rocks. Has anybody ever been into Sedona or the Grand Canyon? Uh, okay, just me, me and each. Pastor Ejo, okay, gotcha. So I, I just remember, I remember thinking of that and, and thinking about how amazing it was to climb these beautiful mountains. And every time I visit, I try to do it at least once because I get on the mountain and I, I look at God's creation and I realize my problems are so small. But yet at the same time, I feel so big because I'm a part of a family that God created and established. So my problems fade away. My purpose gets bigger. It's great therapy for me because sometimes I need that. But when you get on God's creation, when you begin to look at it, your priorities begin and your perspective begins to shift. And I believe in a sense that we all feel that. We all have an overwhelming sense of desire to understand our existence more, to understand our purpose more. And I believe this is true because we all carry with us uh, some aspects of our existence that we all share. We read about it in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, when the Bible says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And here in the very beginning of the Bible, we see three elements of our existence that all of humanity was meant to share. We are created with one purpose, to worship God. 
Did you know that you were just fulfilling one of the greatest purposes in your life right now at this very moment? And we pray for so, for so many open doors, but there's no greater thing than what we just did right now, to worship a sovereign and holy God. That's our purpose, to increase in number, to rule and subdue the world by reflecting God's wisdom and justice into the world. And as we worship God, we become the type of people he created to lead this world. Purpose is one of the elements that we all share. We all have the same purpose. Two, second one is we've all been created with potential. We were designed specifically for this task. No one in here is an accident, by the way. We all had the same amount of potential. Doesn't matter about your gifts. I'm not talking about your gifts. I'm talking about your inner being, what God created you for. We all have potential. And the third one is provision. In the beginning, we had access to God's presence, his wisdom, in order to accomplish our purpose. The Bible story will go on to teach us that God's ultimate goal in the very beginning was to extend the garden to the ends of the earth. The garden was was the place around Eden. Eden was the place where God's presence was to dwell. And our goal, the Bible will teach us, it was to extend the boundaries of the garden, to go fill the earth and subdue it. God did not just give us a garden to tend because he wanted us to be gardeners. Some of you maybe thought that. Well, maybe I guess I'm supposed to be a gardener in my life. Well, I'm glad that I'm not because I'm not a good gardener, okay? I would mess the Garden of Eden up. You don't want me messing with the flowers, okay? They would look jacked up. (laughs) But there's nothing wrong with being a gardener. But that's not the scope of our purpose. We weren't just working on the yard. We were priests. Oh, if God's people could ever just catch the reality of who they are. They are priests in this world. We were priests. We would, if we understood truly who we were and captured it, we could shake the very core of this world system. There's so much more in you. We are much more than gardeners. We were priests. And Eden was a temple. God was there. The garden surrounding Eden was sacred space where we lived. And our role was to extend the boundaries of the space to the ends of the earth as we ruled and subdued this planet, growing and maturing from living in the presence and the wisdom of God. Don't you notice you're a lot more wise when you're in the presence of God? Don't you notice that when you come in, you just get a little smarter? Some of you come and you're a little angry and upset. You're about to do something crazy, right? You're about to pop off on somebody or text them something crazy, and then you end up at city life and you end up at the altar and your whole perspective gets changed. Isn't that right? (laughs) Come on, I know I'm preaching to somebody in here. What is that? That's the wisdom from above. That's worshiping God and maturing into the people that God created us to be. That was our purpose. When we stepped outside of this relationship by trying to gain wisdom on our own, Genesis 3, we try to gain wisdom on our own. We stepped outside of the boundaries of our existence. And we stepped into the wilderness. You say, well, how do you know it was a wilderness? Well, if there was nothing to subdue, Our our role was to rule and subdue, and if there was nothing to subdue, then everything would have been perfect, right? We were called to worship God and with wisdom from Him, create and establish communities and families with heavenly wisdom from above. And we see the failure of man was not necessarily that we did what was wrong. That was part of it, but it was bigger than that. The bigger aspect of what we did wrong is we didn't know how to, we weren't able to continue our existence living with wisdom from above. We had our own wisdom. And we see in Genesis 4 how we failed. Cain and Abel, 
Cain was not able to handle even a basic human relationship like having a brother. And the Bible records the very first murder in the Bible because Cain was not connected to God's presence. He was not worshiping God, receiving wisdom from above. He didn't understand even how to handle basic reality of, of relationships. And isn't that true for us in our own life? When we're not coming to church or we're not reading our Bibles or we're not praying or we're not connected to our Father, we begin to lose touch on how we handle our relationships, how we handle decisions in our life. Next thing you know, you're around people you probably shouldn't be around. Amen? You're doing things that you probably shouldn't be doing. What's going on here? You're not growing. You're not maturing. You see, God designed us so that we can grow and mature into the people he created us to be. Imagine the first human couple. They had a monumental task to rule and subdue a whole planet. There was no John Maxwell videos, by the way. (laughs) There's no podcast to subscribe to, right? There was no TED Talks. You can't go on YouTube, figure out, okay, what do I do? There was no Rise Conference to come and get pumped up or Brave Conference to come get inspired. What? There was purely just worshiping God. And that's how simple it was to worship our creator, to grow in maturity, to become the people God created us to be. So without the presence and wisdom of God, we see the breakdown of humanity continue all throughout history. And instead of becoming the people God created us to be, we fell short and the power of idolatry and sin tightened its chains around us as time would unfold. So what does God do at this point? Does he abandon his creation project? Does he abandon the plan of being with us? No, it was through the love of God that created us. So it was through the love that he set out his plan to rescue us. And the love of God fueled his great rescue operation. And that's what this is right here. A story of God's rescue of his people, of his creation. We serve a loving God who loves you. He's not angry at you. And he desires to be with you. He's always desired to be with you. Many of us know the story of the Old Testament, of how God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham would become a great nation, Israel. And this nation would become a light to the world through which all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now today, I don't have time to go into all the aspects of the story, but it connects us all to Jesus. But I want to show you something today from the Old Testament. And I believe that when this clicks in your mind and spirit, then that cross of Jesus will make more sense to you than it ever has. And my goal is also my prayer for you today, for me today, that our understanding of the presence of God will grow. And I pray that we'll be encouraged to pursue Jesus, really pursue him, and begin to learn how to live fully immersed in his presence, no matter what storms or seasons you go through. What a beautiful testimony of Netza. And I'm... I'm sure if we could talk to them right now, they will tell us that the presence of God is strong around them right now, that his hand never left them, no matter what storm or season they faced. And we all have the ability to live from that presence. So in order to understand what I'm wanting to show you, we first need to understand the purpose of the temple in the Old Testament. In Genesis 1 to 3, we learned that Eden served as a temple. And the goal was to spread Eden to the ends of the earth so that this whole planet would be a temple with God's presence filling it. However, we all know the story. Eden was defiled by Adam's failure to worship and to maintain sacred space 
And this disrupted the unity between heaven and earth because Eden, or the temple, was the place where heaven and earth connected together. It was where God's manifest divine glory rested. So as God was working with Israel to accomplish his plan, he would begin to restore his presence in stages. A couple of those stages was this, the tabernacle and the temple. God's presence dwelled in the temple and tabernacle, in order to ma- and in order to maintain his presence, we get the uh, amazingly interesting book called Leviticus. You ever read Leviticus? Well, today we're going to read through the whole book of Leviticus. I'm just joking. We're not going to do. I'm not going to. We're not going to do that. I'm just joking. But in this are rules and, recu- uh, and, uh, and rituals and offerings. And what God was doing, he was teaching them how to maintain the space around the temple so that God's presence could dwell. And it's interesting because in the garden, it was safe for a man to be with God. I mean, they didn't have all of these different rituals and things they had to do. They, it was safe for them to be in God's presence. But as the Old Testament goes on and when, as it begins to restore his presence, we'll see there's all of these rituals. There's all of these things that they have to do to maintain space. Well, what's going on here? The problem is that God's presence for us in an impure state is dangerous. The temple was a place where heaven and earth came connected together. And God's presence, by the way, is powerful. Did you know that? It's big. Oh, by the way, he spoke the universe into existence. So we're not just talking about like a little God. He's a big God. And he's a powerful God. God. His presence is powerful, okay? And it's like somebody who, me- who, who, who melts metal. I'm sure a lot of you don't know or have never seen that, but when you take metal in a pure state and you put it in fire, you put it in hot and heat, if it's, there's no impurities on it, it will, be, it will be simple. It will just melt. But if there's impurities on it, if there's any type of junk or stuff that's not supposed to be on it, when you put it in that heat, it just fizzes up and it begins to explode. And that's a little bit, now that's not biblical, don't say that you're going to explode when you get in God's presence, that's not what I meant. But I'm trying to help you understand what it means to be in God's presence. And we can't just carry any old impurity into his presence. It's dangerous in this state. And I'm going somewhere. You might be saying, okay, what does this have to do with me right now? I promise you it has something to do with me, just follow me. So God gave specific instructions to Israel to show them how to maintain the purity of the temple space so that God can meet with man safely. And the specific place of this meeting was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the exact location of where God rested was the lid of the Ark. And the Hebrew word that is used to translate the word lid or covering is kaporeth. That's K-A-P-P-O-R-T-H. And it was at this place where the divine glory of God appeared in the cloud to meet with the people in Exodus. Chapter 40, verse 20 to 21. Moses took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached the poles to the ark, and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant as the Lord commanded him. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. God's presence was so strong, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, when we look at the root definition of this word, kaporeth, it actually is defined as cleansing. So to put it plainly, the kaporeth was where purification would be made so that God and his people could safely meet. God wants to be with us. That's what the temple was about. The blood of the sin offering represented life, not death. 
and it acted as a detergent to purify the sanctuary so that the place on earth where the divine glory came to dwell would be kept pure. This was important so that this space could maintain unity of the connection of heaven and earth. Because in order for God's glory to dwell in this space, it needed to be pure. Now fast forward to Jesus. Some of you are like, come on, let's get to Jesus. (laughs) In the New Testament, when we look at the cross of Jesus, we learn that his blood is atoning. His blood was the atonement for our sins. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, this word atonement used in this verse is translated from the Greek word helisterion. And the Greek word helisterion is translated from the Hebrew word kaparith. And when taken in its proper context, we read that Romans 3.25 should read like this with understanding the definition. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of cleansing through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith so that God could meet with his people. Some of us, when thinking about God, have pictured God mad at us. Just waiting to punish you for what you did last night. He saw it, by the way. (laughs) I'm just joking. But what we actually see in the Bible is God doing all that he can to make a way to be with his people again. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Jesus. To be with you. He doesn't hate you. He's not mad at you. He gave everything he had to be with you. Because I don't know about you, but if I don't want to be around people, I don't hang with them. Come on, don't be all righteous in front of me. You know you avoid people too. If I don't want to be around somebody, I don't extend all my energy to be with them. I don't go out of my way. I'll be nice and pleasant. I'm a pastor and a Christian. I got to be nice, right? (laughs) Christian first. That's the most important. Be nice to people. Love people. But if you don't want to be with somebody, you don't expend all your energy to be with them. So if God didn't want to be with us, why would he send his son to the cross? (laughs) And I'll make it more personal, if God didn't want to be with you in your darkest moment that you've ever had in your life, why would he send his son to his darkest moment that he ever experienced so that you could be with him? Because the truth is this, your emotions don't change God. Your lowest moments in life cannot change what happened at the cross. He emptied himself to the point of death on a cross because in your darkest moment, he said, I love you and I choose you. Give it up for God. Come on. That is an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. But that's not all. Not only is the blood of Jesus our purification so that we can meet with God, the life of blood of Jesus literally purifies the space of our body so that our bodies become the place where heaven and earth meet together in unity. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1, verse 9 through 10. He, he says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ 
to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth comes together. And when we are born again followers of Jesus, we too become like him. And our bodies become the place where heaven and earth come together. Now this has huge implications because when you understand this, suddenly these big, huge problems that we have in life and you've been talking to your friends about all week about, they fade away. You mean that I am the place where the Spirit of God rests? This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13, you're the salt of the earth the light of the world. Because we carry this kingdom wherever we go. Our bodies become the place where God's presence dwells. This is why the New Testament calls us the temple. The Apostle Paul writes again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, so now you Gentiles, which all of us are Gentiles unless your bloodline is Jewish, we're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. This is what it means to say that we are the church. This is what it means to say, you, you've heard it said, well, we're, 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 we're people, not a building. That's what it means, because you're a temple of God's spirit. We are carriers of his presence. We carry his spirit. We are the living and growing body of Christ. So if you wonder why God has been rubbing you the wrong way, he's trying to make you fit. <laughs> Come on, now I'm getting to discipleship. If you wonder why things aren't going your way, you're having a hard time, you feel a little agitated because temples weren't created with rough stones, they were sanded down so that they could fit together. And if, if you're going to fit next to your neighbor, you know some of you need some sanding. Isn't that right? <laughs> some of you need a little dust taken off. That's what he's doing. What is he doing? He's helping us fit together. We're the temple. We're the body of Christ. And his goal is unity, for us to be connected together in unity. This is why, as God is restoring his presence to the earth, he is extending the boundaries of Eden, in a sense, he's accomplishing his task through us because we're carriers of his presence. And the great commission is to go out and make disciples of all nations and extend the boundaries of Eden, extend the boundaries of his kingdom, extend the boundaries of his presence to the ends of the earth. Come on. I... <laughs> this is why Matthew wrote, when the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, they will call him Emmanuel. Because they knew when his body was slain and he would lay down his life and shed his atoning blood that all those who would respond to the gospel like us would become the place where God would dwell. Emmanuel, God with us. When we remember that name, when we meditate on that name, when we worship that name, we are remembering that God is with us. And when we are born again, followers of Jesus, we once again have access to God's presence. We regain what was lost in the garden, our purpose, our potential, our provision. All of this is brought back into our lives, and we find this living in God's presence. Not back and forth. Not sometimes we feel him, sometimes we don't. Sometimes he's around, sometimes he's not. He's always with you. We're not magically inviting him in here and he just comes 
because he's finally happy with us. The blood of Jesus, <laughs> the blood of Jesus seals your body. He is always with you. The, pro- the problem is, where's your heart at? The problem is, where's your heart focused on? Because when you align this thing on the truth of God's word, you align your heart on the, on the, on the truth of what God claimed to do at the cross, all of a sudden you're right into tune with his presence and you feel him all around you. Well, what happened? He's always been with you. That's the plan. God is with you. And he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. If you're going through a dark space today, lift your head up. You have purpose. If you're struggling with identity, lift your head up. You have potential. And if you're wondering how you're going to make your life work like all of us have at one point or another in our life, lift your head up because you have provision from above. Because we've been restored to God's presence, we now again have access to our purpose, our potential, and our provision. But yet, sadly, a lot of us today don't live fully aware of God's presence in our everyday lives. Some of us struggle to believe this. We struggle to believe that we have purpose. We struggle to believe that we have potential. And we struggle to believe that we have provision. A while back, I used to live in a, uh, at a part of town in there was a really nice gas station that was next to me, but I didn't like going to it, and I didn't like that it was there because at night sometimes when I'm watching movies or something and I'm in my house clothes, I'm not dressed up like this, by the way, at home, right? My hair is messed up. I got shorts on. I don't want to meet, I don't want to run into anybody, right? I don't want to see anybody that I know. I just want to, boom, go get my thing and go back. That's what I want. But I never went to this store because I never really... At the end of the day, I'm just too late. I'm just too tired to go change my clothes. So I just stay at home. And I just don't go to the store. But then I moved into this, to this condo I live with with my wife. And there's this tiny little hole-in-the-wall store. I love it. Because there's never anybody there. <laughs> and the people that are there, I've never, met, I've never ran into anybody I know. I just go in that thing, get what I got, and I'm out. I'm good. It takes me like a minute. Because I'm comfortable. And I wonder how many of us avoid God's presence because we're not comfortable there. I wonder how many of us avoid seeking Him throughout the day because we're not okay with ourselves. We're not comfortable in our own skin. We're not comfortable with the things that we've done in our past or where we're at in our life. Maybe we think God's going to judge us. Maybe we think he's going to ridicule us because of how we feel in that moment. And so we avoid him. I wonder if we would desire to be in God's presence more if we understood what it really meant to be covered by the blood of Jesus. I wonder if we would chase God with all that we have, regardless of our past, regardless of what we've been through or how we feel in that moment. I wonder if we would chase Jesus with all we have if we really understood that we were covered by his blood. 
Many of us in here want to pray more, want to be closer to God, but we're still living with shame and guilt from the past. And that's keeping us from fully surrendering and moving forward and resting in God's presence. And as, as, as I was pre- preparing last night, it felt strongly that there are many of us in here who are not experiencing God's presence for the following reasons. And I'm just going to name them real quick, but this was something specific that the Holy Spirit gave me. One, you've been trying to get close to God, but the shame of your past is keeping you from moving forward. Or you've been desiring to feel and sense God around you, but the memories you carry of hurt and trauma, bitterness and betrayal have closed your heart up. And you're not surrendering these parts because of your fallen heart because you just can't trust God. You just can't get yourself there. Or you don't understand or believe that you're forgiven and pure before God. So you attempt to experience God's presence moving in doubt instead of faith. Or maybe you're living a good life and doing the right things. You're active in the church, but your spiritual life is growing cold because you're not resting in the presence of God. Work, children, responsibilities, and pressures have taken hold of your attention and your energy. And then there are some in here who even at this very moment know you're not living right. You're far from God, and you just don't know how to get out of the chains that you're in. Jesus told a story in the New Testament, one of the most beautiful descriptions of the blood of Jesus and salvation. There was a father with two sons. Many of you heard this story before. He had a lot of wealth, and he had laid up this wealth for his sons to take as an inheritance. And like most kids, the youngest one just couldn't wait. You ever have kids like that? They just can't wait. They just need it now. They want money now because they have this great plan that's going to work, right? And the father loved his son. Probably knew it wasn't right, but he gave them, he gave them the inheritance. He gave them what he asked for. So, of course, the son goes out and he squanders it. I mean, he was living good. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say how long. I'd say it probably lasted like a month, but maybe a little bit longer. Who knows? But he went out and lived life. He went out and did everything that he can do until he got to the deepest and darkest moment that you can ever experience. Begging for food and eating out of a pig's trough. Rock bottom. And in this moment of desperation, his mind was warped. And he thought, if I could just get back to my father's house, then maybe I can be a servant. Maybe he can hire me and give me a job. And then I can have a place to lay my head at night. I can have a place to eat food. And so he made it up in his heart to go back to his father's house. And with the shame and guilt of all of his bad decisions, he began to form excuses and stories of what he's going to tell his father when he gets there. Because he already knows his, his dad's going to be mad. His dad's going to be mad at him. His dad's going to give it to him. And so he starts making his way to his father's house. And his father happens to be outside and sees his son coming. And out of pure love and compassion, he just goes running after his son. 
He doesn't care what it looks like. In this time, in this culture, it wasn't acceptable for an elderly man to run, especially one with wealth. He had servants who could run for him. But he didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what the culture had to say. He went running after his son. And his son sees his father and begins to share all of the excuses and apologies and stories of how sorry he was. And before he could even get words out of his mouth, his father said, stop. Get a new set of clothes for my son. Go get some food. Put it on. We're throwing a party tonight. My son is back. And many of us in here we're afraid to face our father because we think he's mad at us. Amen. I, I know what it's like to live with shame. I was the prodigal. I was that son. I was on the streets at 16, homeless, addicted to drugs, foster care, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. The lowest place I didn't recognize myself anymore. I know the life of a prodigal. I know the shame and hurt and guilt that you can carry. But when I met Jesus... met Jesus, he gave me a new set of clothes. <laughs> and the new set of clothes is the blood of Jesus. You have a new identity, a new purpose. You're equipped with potential. You're equipped with provision. You're covered. And not all of us in this room, but some of us in this room have been hiding. You're afraid to meet your father. But he doesn't have a list to throw in your face. He's got a new set of clothes. He's got a party planned for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a hope for you. He's got a future for you. Why don't you come home? It's not everybody in here, but somebody in here needs to come home.
somebody in here. To get him plugged in. We're going to get him some resources. We're going to get him the word. We're going to get him discipleship. We're going to. Now go ahead. Keep standing because we're going to, we're going to worship the Lord. For those of you who may not know your father yet, I want to pray with you and you're just going to open up your heart and pray. I'm just going to lead you, but I'm You're talking to your father. You're not talking to me. And he's here with you. And want to pray. And after we pray, we're going to worship God because you you can't really experience the fullness of God's presence until you're covered by the blood of Jesus. So I just want to not assume. We're going to make sure that everybody in here, so that's you. I'm not going to ask you to leave your seat. Just follow me. Don't run from God. He loves you. He's got a great plan for you, so let's pray. If this is you, go ahead, City Life, follow me too. Father in heaven, we come humbly before you. And God, I know that my life is not my own. And I know that there's things in my life that I need to let go. So Jesus, take these chains, take these bondages, take this sin, and I surrender it to you. And Father, I thank you for the grace of Jesus by giving his life so that I can live. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I will follow you I will listen to you, and I will obey you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give it up. Thank you again for joining us for today's broadcast. Our prayer is that it ministered to you and it changed your life. If there's anything we can pray with you about or God has used this ministry to touch you in any way, please send us an email at info at citylifechurch.cc. We want to invite you to be our guest at one of our Sunday or Wednesday worship experiences. You can find our times and location on our website at citylifechurch.cc. You can also download our City Life Church app on your smartphones or tablets for more online messages. It was great having you with us today and we'll see you next time.